Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm finally getting around to recording quite a few reviews. My red pile has been stacking up and I haven't had the time to get around to recording things and setting it down as recorded so I'm gonna have to run on my notes for this one because it's, it's been a couple of weeks since I read this one. But this book that I'm reviewing today is Witchcraft for Tomorrow by Doreen Valiant and ever since I read Wiccan Wisdom Keepers I wanted to track down some of her books and read them because I found her sections really interesting in that book. Um, but her actual original books are quite difficult to get hold of and some of them are quite expensive because I guess they were like a short print run but this is one of the ones that you can still get hold of for a reasonable amount of money like it's probably one of the more expensive books that I've bought recently because it was about nine pounds but but that is quite reasonable considering that some of her other books are selling for you know upwards of 30 40 pounds um so this is quite a an interesting book it's quite different to the normal witchcraft books that i would read it didn't really have any of the normal sections like usually at the beginning you've got to skip over some of the wicca 101 stuff explaining the wiccan read and all that jazz um but this actually goes into it quite at an advanced level i'd say like you definitely need to know a lot about like different terms and stuff otherwise you'll just be completely lost reading this even though i didn't understand like all of it and I mean I've read specifically for this podcast quite a lot of like books about Wicca and witchcraft but there were like some terms and things that I think went back to more kind of like Gerard Gardner levels of like involvement with looking at things like the Lesser Key of Solomon, the Golden Dawn and things like that which I wasn't necessarily familiar with because it's not really something that interests me. So what we have in this book is not particularly glossy it does have some um illustrations um, sort of like figures through it like a textbook and then there are some photographs in the middle of my copy but most of it is just text and just written as a normal book and throughout there are really kind of nice poems and things written by Dorian Bannon and it's very exciting to sort of have those and read them obviously from the person who like wrote the charge of the goddess which is something that we at least have all used I think once probably um, to have like other poems and things is just quite nice I have to say I had trouble getting into it. It is quite dry and again I say textbooky. Uh, there are 11 sections uh, of actual writing and then there is uh, a book of shadows at the end. So the, the actual sections are the old gods, witch ethics, witch festivals, witch signs and symbols, the magic circle, witch tools, methods of witch divination, witch's attire, the witch's alphabets, the working site, witchcraft and sex magic. And then you have Liber Umbrarum, which is definitely not pronounced like that, but um, is a book of shadows, which includes several basic rites um, to perform. And I'll get to that when I get to that section. So to be honest, a lot of the old God section, witch ethics, things like that, it didn't intrigue me uh, for the first like couple of days of reading this I was struggling to be interested in it and kind of regretted buying it to be honest because the sections are quite long they have quite a lot of long paragraphs and they do tend to flit about in terms of topic so it just kind of follows her stream of consciousness I guess as she was writing it uh, between paragraphs it'd be like talking about one thing and then oh this reminded me of this thing and you know all this other stuff it also flits about a lot in terms of 
the references in it like there's a lot of stuff um references like the bhagavad gita and like hinduism stuff sufism and then it will come back and talk about um sort of golden dawn stuff and then pan and diana from um roman mythology and then some greek mythology and then stuff about like neolithic britain um so it isn't really set out in any way that makes it quite easy to follow what she's saying and follow the ideas that she's putting forth just because those ideas change between paragraphs and starts talking about like other different topics and it kind of is a little bit difficult to follow uh, i wasn't also particularly interested in the topics that she was talking about um for me at least it doesn't really matter about the construction of like the old gods of britain and the old gods of like pre-christian paganism because to be honest i think that bears very little resemblance to what most people practice nowadays or at least what i practice um i get that for like gerard gardner and a lot of the sort of the beginning of the wiccan movement it was all about the credibility of bringing back the old ways and reforming them into wicca but obviously a lot of people view that with a lot of skepticism now and they're like well a lot of it was just made up uh, by gardner and some of it may have roots back to other things but you know it yeah you can go back and forth on whether you believe that or not so i wasn't particularly interested in those sections also i tend to feel a lot of things about gardner and crowley um, which is some of the other stuff they were talking about and all that like ceremonial magic of like pre-wiccan days with a little bit of dislike because it just seems to be like very sexist for one thing very heavily male dominated and again not really something that i look at in my current practice so it wasn't particularly interesting to me if that's something that interests you then obviously this is going to be a good book for you to read but i wasn't particularly interested in it and i feel like for the amount of stuff in this if you wanted that you could just go and read a book about crowley instead of this the parts that i really really enjoyed which there were parts of were which signs and symbols the magic circle uh, which tools and methods of which divination um, i found these quite interesting parts to read because they talked more about stuff that i was familiar with in terms of like my own interests and my own practice and they had a lot of like new ideas and things that i hadn't read anywhere else before which was basically why i bought this book for because i didn't want to retread of books that i had already read of you know wicker 101 written in 2018 and basically just copy pasting the same information from book to book to book so for example on page 81 in the section witch tools uh, we read about the magic knife why however was a sword or a knife considered to have a magical potency the answer lies in the belief in the universal borderline energy to which reference has already been made in the previous chapter Call it astral light or what you will, the old practitioners of magic aver that concentrations of it can be repelled and dispersed by the sharp point of an iron or steel implement. The wand directs the magical current, but because it lacks a sharp point and is generally made of wood, it cannot so effectively serve for defence and vanishing. Hence, to draw the circle, the witch uses the athme. I have definitely never heard it put so succinctly before in various other books. I've read um, that the wand and the athme are basically interchangeable because they're both phallic symbols that you would use to direct energy. But this very clearly puts forth that they have separate uses and what those uses are, which is very educational. It's not something that I've read elsewhere. I guess I've always kind of always thought that the knife is obviously more 
defensive and more maybe in some ways offensive than using just a wand and I've all often used it in like defensive magics or magics to hex wrongdoers and things like that but finally here is a reason for using it to cast a circle and other things which I found quite interesting. Witch divination also gives some really good insights into the process of scrying and how scrying works. For example page 88 in this section the reason is that the vision does not in fact appear in the speculum which is um her word for the thing that you are looking at basically in terms of divination like the crystal ball or the black mirror or whatever though it may seem to do so but in the mind of the clairvoyant my own experience is that after a period of concentration the surface of the water or the magic mirror disappears and a picture appears before the mind's eye just as if it was suddenly projected upon a cinema screen sometimes there is a transition stage when the picture or some symbol appears to be upon the surface of the speculum but this is usually of short duration the most vivid pictures appear when the speculum has vanished, or rather when I have ceased to be aware of it. And then uh, skipping a paragraph or two on page 89. There is no need to stare unblinkingly at the surface of the speculum. Instead, it is better to gaze deeply into the water or the crystal rather than to look at its surface. Just relax, allowing yourself to drift into a kind of borderline state. If other persons are present, they must be quiet and concentrate upon the purpose of what is being done. The best results are usually obtained after sunset rather than during the daylight hours. The candle-lit atmosphere of the magic circle is best, but if you happen to be scrying at some other time and place, then the room should be suitably darkened. The burning of some good incense or joss sticks will always help. You don't read a lot about scrying um, in other books. Usually they list, you know, methods of divination, they give like a paragraph on each, and they tend to focus more on tarot cards and runes, basically you're just drawing symbols that have predetermined meanings, and then they might mention, oh, also you can do scrying with a crystal ball or a black mirror, and they don't really go into methods of how to do it. But I think this chapter was generally quite useful for that, and obviously it also involved some talk of the tarot but also on how to make a set of witches stones for divination um what i found a bit weird in that sense was that they didn't actually give a list of the like of any symbols they just said to pick stones and basically assign value to them um without necessarily marking them which was a little bit weird they also give uh chants and things to use when divining and how to use the stones when you throw them it's basically a sort of like jacks where whichever one falls closer to another one and you interpret them that way and then at the very back of the book you have a book of shadows sort of affair um, usually this would be spells and things but in this case it is just a list of rites um, including casting the circle self-initiation initiation into the coven um, various things and they seem to follow a more ceremonial magic kind of bent in the sense that there's a lot of prescribed phrases for how you call the elements um, and how you move about the circle and pointing various tools in certain ways and taking the sensor around the circle um, usually in like more modern books when you read about circle casting it leaves it very much open it's very much to your interpretation but this gives quite um, detailed rights on how you would do that there's also a, a full moon esbut rite and a sabbat rite to perform uh, and then obviously poems like the witch's creed feature as well 
and it also lists things such as the invocation of the moon goddess the invocation of the horned god and the spell of chord so that's basically the only spell it gives and um it's basically just how to work chord magic i don't know really how i feel about the book it does contain a lot of worthwhile information the way that it's set out is a lot more academic than i'm used to in terms of books about witchcraft it's not really I suppose the way in which it's written definitely assumes that you are going to practice what is in the book um, and it's written in the style of like an elder talking to you and instructing you in the ways of I suppose um, Wicca as it was in sort of the 1950s and 60s whereas I think nowadays we have a more kind of friendly conspiratorial tone where it's people talking as equals and it's kind of more friendly and it's definitely written in a way that's more accessible and has a more sort of friendly tone uh, is more generally humorous with sort of thoughts from the author and is therefore a lot more pleasing and easy to read so i think although it is nice to have actual information in the book instead of the same copy pasted wicker 101 books I do think the one thing that a lot of those books do well is being written in a very open way where you can just sit down and read them for, you know, quite a long time without feeling like you're struggling through something uh, or that it is taxing you slightly and you want to go and read something that is a little bit more relaxing. Uh, so this is definitely a book that you would buy to study. And it would definitely feel like you were doing work as opposed to reading something about a subject that you enjoy for fun. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But what I am saying is that at points through this, I actually felt like I was doing homework for a subject I didn't much care for. Um, as opposed to reading something about a subject that I was actually interested in. I guess because there were some sections that were not overflowing with information that I was interested in. Um, specifically about things like Crowley and Golden Dawn and references to witchcraft in old books and plays and things that I'm not terribly interested in. But if you were looking to maybe study something about like the history of Wicca as a movement, um, this would be a definitely a good book for you and a, a good book to look at. As for myself, I'm definitely going to write down and keep some of the chants and things from it because I thought they were really nice, uh, specifically some of the ones to use for divination. I did find that the advice on scrying and the advice on magical tools was quite interesting so that's also something that I'll probably reread again. Having said that I do think quite a lot of the rites um, at the end of the book in the Book of Shadows are quite convoluted and complicated. Not in the sense that you know you'd have difficulty following them but in the sense that I think that you would be looking at the book quite a lot and I don't think that's really the way that I prefer to do rituals. I prefer to make a lot of it up as I go along, but obviously follow like a framework that I know of as far as the invocation of the elements goes. But then I will mix it up and use different words as the feeling takes me. The book did, though, for the first time, sell me on working skyclad. Because um, I've never really done that in terms of you know it just doesn't seem very practical um or something that i'd be interested in but some of the things that it talked about under witch's attire did make me think about sky using skyclad as like a tool in magic and i thought that was quite different and 
changed how I felt about it. Like some of the things that um, it discussed are not things that you would find discussed in Wicca 101 books. And I think Skyclad working is one of those things. It sort of is a bit like unfashionable these days, I think, going on some of the recent books that I've read. But yeah, it was definitely interesting in that respect. I'm really excited to read another one of the uh, books about Doreen Valiant, which is Where Magic Lives. Um, so I have that one on my to read pile and I'm hoping because that one's sort of a more personal account it's more about like obviously her life and stuff it will be less dry and a little bit more entertaining in terms of reading like I don't think that books have to be joke 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 or fun in that respect to read but there is a trick to writing non-fiction to engage your reader which I'm not au fait with because I don't really write non-fiction I've never taken any like courses in how to write it but sometimes I think just because you have an intense passion for a subject and a lot of knowledge about it, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the best writer on that subject and that you're going to be able to make that passion come across because a lot of the times that's just not the case. And although you might find that a subject is really interesting and really um, important to you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to bring it across very well in non-fiction writing. I hope you've enjoyed this review and you can get in touch to let me know about other books that you may have found or want me to review on Twitter, which is at Witchfix, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!